It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store today, as always, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with uh, Beverly Gooden, who is um, the author of a new book called Surviving. Why We Stay and How We Leave Abusive Relationships. Uh, should be uh, pretty pretty interesting stuff. Coming up in the middle, in our second uh, hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with... Uh, oh, this is a fascinating conversation with um, Ebony Liddell, who is a debut author, not a beginning writer by any means, but she's from Detroit originally, and uh, she's written a, a pretty interesting black love story. And you'll find out what that all means when we talk to her about her book, Love Radio. Now, I was expecting to talk with... Um, oh, with um, Daisy Pitkin this hour about uh, union organizing... But, uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to connect. But I did talk just recently with, um, who have I got lined up here? Uh, Joe Rothstein about his 30-year career in politics and uh, a political thriller he has just written called The Moment of Menace. And uh, we'll talk about that and a lot more uh, coming up straight ahead with... uh, Joe Rothstein. This is, a, this is a fun conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is um, an author of a new book called The Moment of Menace, which uh, comes out this month, June 2022. Um, and it's uh, a thriller uh, around a, a charismatic Latina U.S. president up against a powerful conspiracy with a ruthless agenda. And the author knows a little bit about that. He's He's been in and around some of the big events of uh, recent history, and He's experienced it up close with uh, more than 30 years managing and producing media for political candidates. Um, his name is uh, Joe Rothstein, and he joins me by phone. Joe, good morning, and welcome to the show. 
And good morning to you, Tom. I'm happy to be here. Um, I have, uh, yeah, go I, ahead. I have kind of a soft spot in my heart for Flint because uh, one of my favorite candidates, Don Regal, uh, is from there in the Regal family. I knew uh, his father, who was mayor of Flint, and uh, and uh, worked with Don through all of his uh, U.S. Senate campaigns. Well, I I remember Don Regal. I'm I'm uh, old enough, Joe, to remember even Don's dad, um, who lived across the street from me uh, when I was growing up, and um, and and interestingly. I remember when Don was a Republican in Congress before he was a Democrat in the Senate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I I, I have to ask, um, one of the events that you were close to, before we get into the book, Joe, um, is the Nixon impeachment. And also this month, in addition to your book coming out, is the uh, 50th anniversary of the Watergate break-in. Mm-hmm. And I just yeah, wondered would... <laughs> if there's something about this book that that's the timing, or or was this what you did with your uh, with your COVID quarantine? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, no, it has nothing to do with the uh, timing, uh, but it certainly was. Uh, an eventful, eventful uh, few years in uh, my life. Uh, I started uh, my political consulting company uh, in um, 1972, and uh, my first client was Peter Rodino of New Jersey. And um, Peter, uh, I had never heard of him, even though he'd been in Congress for 30 years, uh, and he always, you know, he never had a serious campaign uh, opponent, but the New Jersey um, uh, Supreme Court uh, reapportioned uh, the state and put him in a district that was uh, uh, 60% black uh, voters and uh, and uh, said that the district should have a, a, a black congressman and um uh, Peter was um, certainly not black. He was uh, he was a, an Italian American and uh, proud of it. So um, that was my first campaign. And uh, two weeks after we had we won our primary election, uh, Manny Seller, who had been chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, got beat in his primary campaign. So. Peter Rodino became chairman of of the Judiciary Committee just as uh, oh man in time to head the impeachment uh, effort. So talk about time. and I worked with him during impeachment uh, uh, as a uh, c- consultant. So. Talk about timing, I, Joe. How do you decide to be a consultant? I mean, if you if you get that level of interest in um, you know politics, procedure, and policy, um, how is it you don't put your name right up front on the ballot? Well. <laughs> no, it, what makes somebody want to be yeah. behind the scenes and, you know, yeah. Yeah. making the trains yeah. run on time? 
Well, in my case, it was uh, strictly uh, just sort of total, uh, you know, being where a confluence of events. Um, I had been a reporter in the Anchorage, Alaska Daily News and uh, covering politics and the governor uh, asked me to come to work on his staff for uh, a while, and uh, I did, and it came time for his re-election, and nobody else on the staff seemed to have much interest in uh, in politics, but I did, and managed his campaign, and then uh, I went uh, back to the newspaper, and a good friend of mine ran for the U.S. Senate and asked me to be his uh, campaign manager. Mike Gravel was his name. And the, we won, and he said, well, come to Washington for a couple of years and uh, find out how the system works, and then you can go back to Alaska and be a better newsman. So, And I got to Washington, and I just sort of fell in love with the whole process of getting people elected, and I thought I can probably do more good here if I'm helping good people win than I can back at home uh, uh, at the newspaper. So I stayed. Was was Anchorage home for you? Well, it uh, had been for 10 years. I actually grew up in Los Angeles, went to UCLA, got a master's degree in journalism there, and then Strictly on a lark, actually. Alaska had uh, just won statehood, and I thought, well, I'll go there and uh, you know get a lot more experience as a newsman than I would if I stayed in L.A. Uh, running sandwiches for the you know experienced <laughs> reporters for the next five years. You once you. Um started writing um you've you've written three novels and i just wonder with your background and the proximity that you were in to some uh campaigns big and small how is it that you're writing novels and not tell-all books Well, I don't know. You think there's a shortage of tell-all books out there? You, you know, that's a good point, Joe. There probably aren't. But, you know, it's it's. I think there's always room for another perspective. You know, um, the fact is um, political campaigns are real drama. Um, you don't see it. You know, you see the polls, you see the issues, and, you know, the yeah, 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 he's another type of political commercials. Um, yeah. But uh, when you think about it, these people who run for office uh, most often are ordinary people who are kind of setting themselves up for extraordinary uh, events. And... Um, so I've been at, at the heart of so many campaigns where uh, uh, people are putting their life savings on the line. You know, they go out and uh, 
their reputations, their uh, jobs, their economic futures. Uh, you know, children sometimes suffer because, you know, their parents are in the limelight and uh, uncomfortably so. Uh, uh, their friends and relatives uh, all have opinions. Uh, they have to raise millions of dollars. And uh, often they lose. And uh, losing means big debts, and losing means, uh, you know, having to find another way to survive. And, you know, it's a, it's a cruel system because it, it's not just two months out of your life the way it is in so many other countries. Uh, you know, it, we used to think that starting early and uh, political commercials was maybe after Labor Day and not in October. You know, now, now it's endless. You know, the, um, you know, if you're going to run <clears throat> for Congress or the Senate or any major office, uh, it's two years and it's, and it could be $10 million. And, uh, how do you raise that kind of money and how do you, how do you devote that kind of time? And, and so I've seen lots of marriages break up. I've seen, uh, you know, um, all kinds of people go off the deep end. I've seen friendships uh, dissolve. It, it's a very dramatic atmosphere when you're in the middle of a lot of campaigns. And people who have been there uh, really know what I'm talking about. And so I thought, well, this isn't a topic that you hear about much you hear about um, you hear about uh, lawyers and uh, and um, foreigners and uh, and others who and certainly private detectives who were all wrapped up in dramatic stories and I thought let's let's give politics a do and um, and get into the heart of it and the drama of it and um, and that's why I started writing these books. More with political operative and author Joe Rothstein. Straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner's program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with political operative and author Joe Rothstein, straight ahead. Is it hard to come up with uh, um, fictional accounts of political activity in the wake of what seems like the wildest scenarios you could ever imagine uh, playing out on CNN? (laughs) (laughs) Well... I'll tell you, I've had a lot of wild experience, a lot of wild experiences, um, and I don't really set out to write these stories. You know, I, I, I mean, some writers can sit down with a outline from beginning to end and fill in the blanks. Um, uh, I sort of write these stories the way I. I raised my kids. I had four young sons, and, you know, the oldest, four of them, and the oldest one was three. So they they were all, uh, you know, pretty, they were all youngsters together. So I'd go in and try to read them bedtime stories, get them to go to sleep, and they, uh, you know, and some would, and some wouldn't. The lights would be on, and... Uh, so I thought, well, I've got to change my system here. So I would turn the lights out, and then I would uh, make up stories. <laughs> and and uh, and that sort of did it, because I guess my stories were so boring that... Uh, it, oh, you mean the you kids know, weren't guess. sitting around saying, Come on, Dad, <laughs> tell us about uh, <laughs> Martha Mitchell again. So, <laughs> so that's sort of the way I write these stories. I have a general idea of you know, the story I want to write and I'll write the chapter and I think, gee, that's interesting. I wonder what happens next. And, um, and then the, just kind of let the story write itself, you know? You know, I was, I was being a little facetious, Joe, when I was talking about how do you come up with, uh, you know, uh, an implausible, plausible plot when these outrageous things, you know, seem to be happening on the news all the time. You know, whether it's the um, the unexpected nature of Donald Trump's uh, presidential campaign and subsequent presidency, or, um, I, you know, I, I didn't think I'd ever see a, a senator in the middle of a confirmation hearing calling babies racist. Um, where do you come up with a story that's going to be unusual, interesting, and and draw us in and and uh, and bring us toward that. Watch out now for the pun. That moment of menace. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, <clears throat> the moment of menace is actually the third story in a trilogy. Oh, really? Uh, Good. It, yeah, involving. Uh, um, Mexican-American woman who gets elected president of the United States. Now, I started writing that the first book back in 2014, 2015, uh, based on, uh, I, I've done quite a bit of work in Mexico and uh, and in the process met some very strong uh, Mexican women, uh, business people and, and others who were uh, you know, pretty memorable. And so um, I thought, 
to myself, what, you know, what if somebody like this was president of the United States? And so um, um, I laid the groundwork for these stories, uh, just imagining this person. I thought, well, okay, to be president, she has to be born in the United States. Why would that happen? And how would she afford it? Well, she came from a rich uh, 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 family in Mexico that ran a huge corporation, and she was the heiress. And if she was the heiress, then she uh, ultimately un- <clears throat> uncovered the fact that um, her money came from, you know, it was pretty dirty money. So then she decides to uh, do penance for it by working the streets of Los Angeles, uh, helping uh, the poor and the un- underprivileged and so on. And that sort of makes her kind of a local Mother Teresa and and that propels her into Congress, and you know, and um, and all that happened before Trump. I mean, I thought of all this before Trump, and when I started talking to people about you know publishing this, they said, "Well, uh, you, know, you know, other than the fact that you're not a woman and you're not a Latina, um, you know, uh, who's going to believe something like this?" And I said, "Well." Um, you know, Tolstoy wrote War and Peace about Natasha, you know, and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a woman. And, uh, you know, why do I have to be a woman to write like this? And, and, um, and. Well, the other question. Anyway, I I published it in 2016, never dreaming Trump would become president. And when (laughs) Trump became president, almost anything became possible, you know. That's that's true. Uh, when you started, now you you start you wrote your you sat down to write your first novel when you were in your twenties, right? Yes, <laughs> right. And now you're in your eighties, and you've just finished your third novel. Um, that seems like a yeah. really long case of writer's block, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, in between, there's probably a thousand TV commercials, and I figured that of, life got in the way a little bit. Is it is it difficult for for a young person, even if they have information to share, to start um, the process of writing, which often is sort of reflective? Do you, is it better if you wait a while and write with some? back-looking perspective? Oh, it's so personal. Um, you know, I'm, you know, Truman Capote wrote some of his best uh, work before he was 25. And, yeah. um, you know, and <clears throat> I, you know, I, I was, I never felt that I was a, you know, literary genius. I just felt like I needed to say things, and uh, so I've written uh, political columns. I, you know, I've written speeches. I've written, um, you know, th- um, uh, so much uh, through the years. And I've sort of always thought of myself as myself more as a journeyman than as a 
genius with this. <laughs> and I could have started writing sooner, uh, but you know, I had a I had a big family, a lot of people to support, and uh, a lot of things happening in my life, and um, and I actually ran campaigns up until I was in my seventies. So, uh, you know, this is actually the first time since since I was in my twenties when I had the leisure to take time and write. Did you know when you started? Myself. Did you know when you started your first novel that it was going to be a trilogy? Oh, absolutely not. I didn't even know after my second novel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always ask writers, you know, do you get to the end of that first book and think, but wait, there's more. You know, and it just it, it just keeps going once you once you start down that path. Yes, and but this is the last uh Tenny book I'm writing and I and actually um what I've done here is um I've written a, a third novel uh, to make a case for uh, total world disarmament. And I've sort of wrapped the spinach inside of uh, a thriller so people will read about it. I, you know, this this book has a, the strongest political message that I've uh, put in any of the three. And... Um, and I just felt, you know, with you know, one of the great problems of the age, and I think it's a serious problem. I mean, it could be a, a earth-altering problem, is that um, the science is outstripping our ability to uh, control it. So, I mean, we can't get a handle on climate change. We've 70 years after nuclear uh the, the bomb dropped in Japan. Uh, we you know, have, uh, I'm glad to hear you. Rattling. I'm glad to hear you say that, Joe, because you know, as as I watch the things that are going on around me and and uh, you know, on my on my nightly news, I'm a little frustrated with all the problems that we face with regard to climate change. That all of the best minds in technology are trying to figure out ways to get robots to deliver pizza <laughs> yeah <laughs> let, let me well, ask you this uh, joe because you've written speeches and i'm i'm fascinated with uh speeches and speech writers and i know speech writers don't do this typically but was are, are there any speeches that you were involved in that um that that we might know or recognize a convention speech, uh, um, an inaugural? Uh... Um, well, actually, the um, the most uh, prominent speech I wrote was um, it, during the Pentagon paper uh, uh, incident, uh, Mike Ravel, the, and I was uh, his chief of staff, um, uh, Working for the Judicial Committee. I'm sorry. Working for the Judicial Committee. Well, no, Mike was in the U.S. Senate. Oh, oh, right, right, right. I see. And and, uh, the Supreme Court was, uh, had taken up the case of whether or not uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, and other newspapers 
uh, should be prohibited from uh, publishing the papers. And, uh, and never in the history of the country had the court uh, restrained a publication from publishing something. You know, if you get it wrong, uh, you know, you're subject to libel and <clears throat> penalties and so forth. But but we've never really had censorship of the press. And Mike was uh, deeply concerned that they were going to uh, um, restrain the newspapers from publication. And so he got his hands on the copy and um, uh, was planning to read it uh, into the record, in the, the Senate record. And we had spent so much time, so many sleepless nights working on this. Uh, when he went to deliver the speech where he's, he was explaining it, he he just uh, choked up and couldn't do it. You know, the, this was all about Vietnam and all the people who were dying there. And I had written that speech for him, and the TV cameras were on him, and, um, and it was a very dramatic moment, and um, you can still get that uh, speech on YouTube so by... Uh, by uh, Searching for Mike Gravel Pentagon Papers. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look for that, Joe. And um, and and I. I asked you that question to ask you this one. Has the rhetoric changed dramatically as much as I think it has um, throughout the the years that you spent in. Uh, um, political and, and governmental communications oh it's brutal you know, yeah i mean it, uh, i mean is persuasion just gone in speech writing <clears throat> um there used <clears throat> excuse me there used to be uh uh so many more crossover voters you know that people would uh decide with whether they were republicans or democrats but then more or less would, uh, um, you know, look over the candidates and make a decision. And, uh, and uh, there was a much bigger pool of people uh, you could talk to and uh, try to persuade. Uh, now, uh, in fact, I was just talking with someone the other day, a political consultant working on some campaigns, and I said, you know, at least 80%, 85% of the people have already made up their mind, you know. You just have to isolate the 15% who haven't and uh, run your whole campaign for them. <clears throat> and that's a, <clears throat> that's a terrible uh, situation, um, you know, because you're, you, you know, you shouldn't be, shutting your mind out to the good people who might be running in parties uh, in the party uh, that you're not. And um, anyway, I think it's deteriorated, and I'm not certainly the first one to notice that. But uh, just having been po in politics for as long as I have, you know, this, there's been this steady de degradation. And the point I was making <clears throat> about science was uh, there's hardly anybody in uh, in Congress who knows anything about science, uh, about 
about climate, you know, can make uh, personal reason judgments about climate change or uh, weapons. You know, we've got weapons now that uh, can decide for themselves who to kill. Uh, you know, they don't even need a human intervention. You know, uh, you know, that's pretty scary. It is pretty it's pretty scary. scary that you've got genetic editing where. You know, you can create, create the designer babies by, uh, you know, by editing uh, DNA the way you do uh, film. Uh, uh, and then, of course, artificial intelligence, which is uh, in the process of wiping out millions of jobs. And there's going to be a lot more wiped out. And, and serious people like uh, Stephen Hawking and Ellen. Uh, and Musk and others, you know, think that uh, artificial intelligence, which, you know, when you hear the words machine learning, it, what that means is machines are teaching other machines to be smarter than we are. And so <laughs> all this stuff is pretty scary, and here we are, uh, and we can't even get control of uh, AR-15s, you know. Uh, so so um, anyway, I, you know, I've I've written that scariness into this book, and uh, hope somebody pays attention well, it's, too. Well, it, it sounds uh, it sounds exciting, Joe. the The book is called "The Moment of Menace," uh, just just out this month, June of twenty twenty two. Well, it's actually out today. This oh, it's the, it is today. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it's being released uh-huh. as we speak. There. Yeah. So, um, in my next book, uh, Tom... I I was uh, just going to ask about that. Yes, it's not going to be anything like this. Uh, One summer in college, I was the advanced man for a uh, traveling automobile stunt show where they crash cars and go through fire and so forth. And and, uh, I... uh, I would travel ahead of the show and uh, get publicity for them and so on. And, uh, and the first time I had to catch up with the show to get more supplies, they put my, you know, I drove, I, I was driving a car that looked like a Sancho car. And the boss said, uh, go down to the pits and get in the parade line, you know, the pre yeah. uh, show parade line and do what? And do what the guy in front of you does. I said, well, I, I, I'm not a stunt driver. And so anyway, when it was my turn, I drove down the runway, you know, the track and yeah. jumped out of the car and waved my crash helmet to the crowd. And they introduced me as Suicide Saunders. So my next book is going to be Suicide Saunders and my crash show experience. Oh, that's funny. That's, that's, that's got to be as close an experience as you could ever get to running away with the circus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joe, I'm, well, having, it was fun. Yeah. I'm having so much fun talking with you, Joe, and I have a feeling if we got started on stories, we could go for hours. But yeah. we're kind of at the end of our time. Um, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find about, find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I do, and it's uh, joerothstein.net. Well, Joe, I, 
You know, I, I do a weekly political roundtable called Armchair Politics on Wednesdays uh, for a couple hours from, from 10 a.m. Eastern to noon. And uh, we rotate the third chair. I don't suppose I could interest you in joining us uh, on occasion. Oh, I'd love to do it. I, you know, I, I have lots of opinions. And, I would think, and and some, and and some interesting perspective on uh, some of the things that are being that done now versus uh, what how people did things in the in in the past as you were um, in the midst of your long and storied career. You just let me know, and I'll be there, Tom. Well, I will do that. Is this a good number to get you at? Because I will... Yes, this I, is a, it's my cell number, and it's the only one I have. Okay, well, Joe, I, I will reach out to you. I, I think you'd have fun with us. Okay. In the it, meantime... It's really been fun talking with you, Tom. And, and thanks for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. I really appreciate it. Happy to do it, and I hope they... Uh, and I hope they enjoyed the book. All right. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was Joe Rothstein. He uh, spent more than 30 years managing and producing media for political candidates. He was uh, involved in historic events like the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Nixon impeachment, the Pentagon Papers, and helping to elect and reelect nine U.S. senators and dozens of governors, members of Congress, this is his third novel. It is um, a political uh, thriller of sorts, and uh, it's called The Moment of Menace. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs> comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. The Tom Summer Program.com.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Blood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Senator, it is our pleasure to speak with you here tonight. As a Republican minority leader in the Senate, your views on affairs of state and on the political scene are always in demand. Senator, what's new? Well, if I gave you a direct answer, it would be almost a prejudgment of an issue on which testimony is still to be taken. (laughs) Senator, your political flamboyance is such that when coupled with your flowery oratory, there are those among the opposing party who say that you are actually nothing but a buffoon. I do not disagree. (laughs) Senator, I wonder if we can get some insight on your colorful career. Well, I know of no reason why we shouldn't. Well, then, why did you decide to become a United States Senator? Because that was my first job after I got out of high school. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Van Voorhees. Now, Senator, not to bring up a sore point, but you did nominate Mr. Goldwater in Chicago, did you not? So to speak. <laughs> Senator, are you denying it? I think so. <laughs> well, regardless... What do you think Mr. Goldwater and Mr. Miller should do during the coming years? I think they can very usefully get a lot of indoctrination by going to any party county headquarters, stuffing envelopes, getting to see people, develop a poise uh, as they see candidates and others come in, uh, run errands and so forth, familiarize themselves with party organization and machinery, and then it becomes part of their nature and it makes for uh, adeptness in the political field. Senator, do you think the Republican Party will stage a comeback in 1968? I know of no reason why it should. In your own mind, do you see a candidate emerging for 1968? No, I don't. Well, then where do you think the Republican candidate will come from in 1968? Out of the woodwork. Senator, how are the Democrats reacting to the news that Mr. Goldwater may step down as head of the Republican Party? They resent it, and they resent it bitterly. the questioning now with Mr. St. Ledger. Senator, there's a move afoot to curtail the filibuster. I think I can say this. Excuse me, are my eyes deceiving me or is that a naked girl sitting up there on the Senate balcony? I think one can say reasonably that this has occupied the attention of the Senate since the 9th of January. Looking back, Senator, over your career, has there been one outstanding statement that you've made to your colleagues in your many years in the Senate? There has been. May I ask what it was? Little Tom Thumb pulled out a plum, as you know. (laughs) We noticed that 
you were conspicuous by your absence at the Washington Senator's opening game this year, an event which normally attracts the political leaders of both parties. Why was that? First, I had not been invited. Secondly, I, there was no hint that I would be invited. We, we understand. Third, I was not invited by anybody. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs>